0: Grace to you in peace from God, our Father, and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's word, which we receive this morning, is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 5 to 26. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that he spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. (coughs) Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is true. Amen. Next week, we are going to hear Jesus telling his disciples, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. John chapter 9, verse 4. We see Jesus doing exactly that in our text this morning. Here is an opportunity for him to do the work the Father has sent him, and he takes advantage of that opportunity. It's around 6 p.m. It's in the evening. Jesus has been walking all day, possibly preaching along the way. The text doesn't mention that, but it seems likely, knowing Jesus. And in the evening he comes now to this well and sits down to take a break, take a rest while his disciples go into town to get supper. But Jesus doesn't rest, does he? This woman comes and here is an opportunity. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. When there is opportunity, I must do the work. There is an opportunity here so Jesus doesn't rest. Rather, he gives rest to this woman. Jesus came not to rest, but to give rest. Even his request for water in our text was merely a prelude to the opportunity to offer her the water of life, which he had come to bring. The day is far spent, but even at this late hour, Rather than take his rest, Jesus uses the opportunity to give rest. Matthew 11:28 and 29, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Most of us know Matthew 11:28, 29. very well. It's that wonderful promise where Jesus tells us he has come to carry our burdens and to give us his burden, which is not a burden at all. He has come to labor so that we might rest in him. Receiving rest in Jesus begins by laying down our sins, and that's something we see in our text as well. When the woman asks Jesus for this living water that he spoke of, Jesus responds by confronting her with her sin. It may seem to us on first reading that this is a strange change in conversation. Like all of a sudden Jesus goes off in another direction, but he is attempting to give her the water she just asked for, isn't he? He's beginning with this confrontation of her sin, calling her to lay down that burden so that he might carry it for her. Receiving rest from Jesus begins with that laying down of our sins. About ten years ago, my family, uh, myself, my sister, some of, some of the rest of some of other of us, Yudis, went on a, a hike up Mount La and to get, told you this story before, but it's such a good illustration. We were on a, on a hike up Mount Leconte. It's about an eight-hour hike up about 4,000 feet. It's not too bad of a hike, though, because it's pretty gradual. A couple hours into this hike, uh, my nephew began complaining about how heavy his backpack was. After a little while, my sister uh, checked on his backpack, wondering why he was complaining. There really wasn't supposed to be much in it. He found out he had been picking rocks up along the way and putting them in his backpack. And his backpack was now full of rocks. He didn't want to leave them behind either because he said they looked really cool. So she convinced him to pile them up by the side of the path and we maybe pick them up on our way back down the next day. We can hardly expect to find rest in Jesus if we keep piling up our sins on our own back, if we keep carrying rocks. Jesus came in order to carry our sins for us, and it's for this exact reason that he instituted the ministry of the keys, along with the ministry of the keys, private confession. Jesus instituted this so that those of us who are called to serve in his name could help his people to lay down their burdens and find rest in him. Jesus, James, sorry, James reminds us, confess your trespasses to one another. Private confession is not a law which God commands we must do, but is a gracious gift from God given through the church and its pastor, whereby Jesus works through the pastor to help people to lay down the sins which burden them, irritate their conscience, and keep them from having the rest that Jesus would like us to have. Just as Jesus encourages the woman in our text to confess her sins, just as he confronts her with her own sins, so he encourages us, especially through our pastor, to confess those sins which trouble us. And we can do that without fear, because we know how Jesus will respond to us, again, through our pastor. The same words he spoke to that lame man. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Sometimes we might use the excuse, well, I already know what Jesus is going to say through my pastor, so why do I even need to use private confession? But Jesus promises to work powerfully Through that spoken word, just as he promises to work powerfully through the public preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. We read in John chapter 20, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. If something is particularly bothering our conscience, then it is evident that we need a little help laying down that burden on Jesus. That's the role that private confession fulfills in our church and in our Christian life. The picture of the woman at the well of Samaria is a, a perfect picture of what Jesus wants us to receive in private confession that coming to Christ and receiving that water of life. Don't be like my nephew, insisting on piling up and carrying sins on our path. Lay them down and receive Christ's forgiveness. We can do that in the general confession. We do that in the sacraments. But private confession is one more way that Jesus provides to help us lay down those burdens. (coughs) Revelation 22, 17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Receiving rest in Jesus is not only a laying down of our sins, but also a receiving of him as our savior. Our catechism reminds us that there are two parts to confession, right? First that we confess our sins and second that we receive absolution, that is forgiveness from Christ himself. We see that also in our text, don't we? After leading, after Jesus, after leading this woman to confess her sins, to confront her with her sins, next leads her to that confession of himself as the Savior from sin. Leads her to understand that he came to give her rest. As I mentioned before, next week we're going to be reading from John chapter 9. And in that chapter, we're going to hear how the Pharisees once again condemn Jesus because he does a miracle on the Sabbath. They use this fact that he did a miracle on the Sabbath as proof that he is not from God. Or if he was from God, he would not work on the Sabbath, they claim. And therefore, he is a sinner. Now, in part, of course, the Pharisees were right to highly value The Sabbath day, over and over again, God in the Old Testament warned against those who refused to rest on the Sabbath day. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the Lord points to the Sabbath day as something important because, of course, it was a picture of the rest that we would receive in Christ. We read from Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath... From doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own way nor finding your own pleasure nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, the mouth of the Lord has spoken." So the Pharisees were correct to place a great deal of emphasis on the Sabbath. The problem was they didn't treasure it. They didn't value it enough or in the right way. They saw it as a law that must be kept instead of treasuring it as a gracious gift from God. If they had come to the Sabbath day delighting, rejoicing in the gift that God promised them on that day, then they would have seen in Jesus not a sinner who forsook the Sabbath, but one who fulfilled the Sabbath. One who came to be the Sabbath to us. The whole point of the Sabbath day was the day on which God gives rest to us. And that's exactly what Jesus does in our text. He himself does not rest in order that he might give us rest. That's exactly what Jesus does in John chapter 9 that we'll hear about next week. He himself does not rest in order to give us rest. Those who, like the Pharisees, come to Jesus in order to fulfill the law come because they feel like they have to receive very little, if anything, from Jesus. But those who, like the Samaritan woman, come to Jesus looking for the gift of God, treasuring and valuing the rest that Jesus offers us as a precious gift from God, receive Christ himself. And the rest he came to bring. He himself did not rest in order that we might receive rest in him. There are two parts to confession. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive forgiveness from Christ himself, although he speaks to us often through the pastor or another Christian. Whoever does these things has that water of life that Jesus speaks about in our text, that rest that he came to bring. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.